Pastor Rusty started a series last week called Seven Mile Miracle, and it's about the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. They're more of statements than just words. He made seven statements on the cross, and we're kind of going through those seven statements. Pastor covered two of those statements. I'm going to cover three of them. Uh, next week, we have a special guest coming in to preach, Pastor Jeremy Sutton out of Midland. Uh, I'd, I'd, I've known Jeremy, uh, pastor has known Jeremy his entire life. I'd never really heard him preach. I've known him, talked to him, hung out with him. But the first time I heard him preach, I thought, like, he is really, really good. I mean, I thought, man, he, he, the last time he was here, he had an amazing word. And uh, he's going to be with us next weekend. And so you don't want to miss it. You want to be here. So I'm going to do these three. And then pastor's going to finish up the last two statements, Easter morning, uh, <clears throat> Easter weekend. We'll finish those up. And so the first word, uh, kind of the first statement that he made on the cross was about forgiveness. This is all review from pastors. And this is Luke 23, 34. And it said, uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. So Jesus was already nailed on the cross. Uh, and he's up there. And his first statement, his first thought, his first thing to say is, is Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, here's what you have to understand about crucifixion. The nails to your hands and your feet didn't kill you. Okay, it was excruciatingly painful. How you died was suffocation. Okay, because your arms are out like this, your body would begin to collapse and it would restrict your lungs and you couldn't breathe. So what they would do while they were on the cross is because they'd put their feet on top of each other and drive a nail through the tops of their feet. They would push up on that nail to breathe. Okay. To speed up crucifixion, they would go through with a club and break their legs. So it would go faster because it it could take a day, it could take all night uh, for someone to die through crucifixion. So for Jesus to talk, for Jesus to use his words, it had to mean something. It had to have some purpose behind it because he's struggling for every breath he can get. And his first thought is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Have you ever had to do something you don't want to do? An activity, uh, uh, an obligation, you have to go do something. You think, man, I don't want to do this, but I'm just going to grit my teeth and get through it, right? I'm just going to kind of shut up, keep my head down, and I'm going to get this done. And think how Jesus going to the cross, and we know that, that Jesus went to the garden and he, told, he prayed and said, God, if you can take this cup from me, do it. If there's another way, let's find another way. But he goes to the cross and he's not like, okay, I'm just going to get through this. I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, he thinks I'm going to forgive. Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. And these seven statements, these seven last words of Jesus are mile markers, if you will, for your walk with God. He's laying out the framework. He's laying out kind of the, the blueprint or the outline of how we're supposed to live as Christians. Right? We know the first thing that coming to salvation is we have to ask God to forgive us for what we've done. And then he's laying out the framework. Hey, you have to ask for forgiveness, and then you need to give forgiveness. Right? When you hold on to bitterness, when you hold on to unforgiveness, and think, man, you know, Greg did me dirty one time, and I'm not going to let it go. All it does is hurt me. It doesn't hurt Greg. Right? He moves on with his life and he doesn't think about it again, but I hold on to it. When you forgive, it lets you off the hook, not the other person. Okay? And so you have to learn to forgive just as Jesus set the example on the cross. You know, as pastor said, nails didn't hold him on the cross. Love did. He could have jumped down at any moment. There were angels there. He could have said, come here, we're killing everybody. I'm done. 
I'm not doing this. He could have done it before. When they arrested him, he could have said, well, time out. I'm not doing this. And shot to heaven. But he didn't. The second statement is about salvation. Luke 23, 39. Uh, it says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So Jesus is on the cross. There's two criminals being uh, crucified at the same time. Crucifixion was not a big deal. Tons of people were crucified. The road going into Rome would be lined with people on crosses as you went in. So it wasn't a big deal. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah. Or you prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into, into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now here's what you have to understand about this. Is he sets up this first statement of forgiveness. Jesus forgives. Then the second thing he does is salvation. Right? This is technically the first person ever to be saved, right? Because Jesus is in the process. He says, hey, because you believe in me, you're going to be with me in paradise today. Now, Pastor talked about this last week. This should assure you that he said, you'll be with me today. So when you pass away, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with God. When you die, you go to heaven. If you're a Christian, if you die and you're not a Christian, you go to hell. There is no in-between. There is no waiting room. Uh, it's, it's one or the other. And he says, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, the thing is, is you don't want to be like this criminal. You don't want to wait till you're dying to make that decision. You don't want to wait till it's the very last minute, your very last breath, and then you're deciding, hey, I do believe. You want to make that decision right now. Now, those are the first two. That's just review. We're going to cover the last or the next three, and then uh, Pastor will finish up on Easter. So the third one is about relationship. It's about family, okay? And so I'm going to read it to you. This is out of John 19, 25. John is the only one who recorded this because he was the only one that was there. Uh, all of the other disciples were off and hiding. Standing near the cr cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and, the, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his, this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, here's what we see in this, in this verse. Number one is Jesus took care of his family. Now, what's crazy about this is he had brothers, um, but they weren't there. They didn't believe in him till he rose from the dead. His brothers thought he was nuts. You know, the book of James in the New Testament, that's his brother. His brother wrote that book. He thought he was crazy. You know, oh, the son of God. Dude, you're, you're a lunatic, Right? But then he kind of walked out of the grave and was like, what now? Right? You know? I mean, don't you know that was fun going to his brother's houses, knocking on the door, and they open it, and then they close it and open it again. And it's like, yeah, who's right now, sucker? Right? And so then they didn't, so they weren't there. All of the other disciples were in hiding. They were scared to death. I mean, they thought, we're all going to die. Uh, you know, and, and I heard a pastor kind of make fun of them for that and say they were cowards. And uh, we can't stand up for our faith at our job much less of pastors being crucified downtown today. I mean, could you imagine? If, if they're, they're rounding us up and killing us, but we can't, you know. So these guys are in hiding. They're afraid. Now, John, one of his disciples, says the one he loved, he was there with, with his mom. Now, all the women are there. I mean, they obviously weren't scared. His mom, his, you know, uh, her sister, his aunt, Mary Magdalene, you know, they're all there. 
they're all there at the cross. And so we see where Jesus takes care of his mother. He says, hey, John is going to take care of you. And what we have to understand, you know what's wrong with church? You're all here. People are here, right? I'm here. It's filled with people, right? If anybody has a qualm with church, it's because they were hurt by people, right? Well, I don't like church. It's because a person hurt you. You know why? Because we're a family. What does family do? We hurt each other, right? You know, you ever go to Thanksgiving and your mom calls you and is like, could you please just behave for one meal? You just act normal for one meal. Leave your sister alone, right? Don't talk about this, and you just act normal for one meal. Why? Because we want to come together, and that's what we do every week. We come together because Jesus died on the cross to make us a family, and he sets this example in his third statement of, I want you all to care for each other. He's setting up his church. He's setting up what it's supposed to look like. You know, he knows I'm dying Obviously, his father had already passed away because he's not there. We don't hear anything about him. Why, you know, why didn't Joseph take care of her? Because he had to have already passed away. And so he tells John, I want you to take care of my mother because he's setting up what church is supposed to look like and we're supposed to be a family. What do families do? They fight. They don't get along, right? We're all mad at each other, right? And that's what church is supposed to look like and that's why you know, you, you get hurt and, and, and things like that. We're telling the kids Wednesday, we did Q&A, and they're like, all of the questions are about being bullied. Some kids said they want to fight. I, you know, I'm like, go get karate lessons. Tell them I'll meet back in six weeks, right? We'll throw down, you know? That was bad advice. But, you know, one of our leaders jumped up and said, you have to learn to let those things roll off your back because it's going to happen to you the rest of your life, forever. It doesn't end. And so you have to learn to live with that. And so we see where he's setting up family and we have to, Galatians 3, 26 says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are all children of God. If you believe in Jesus this morning, then you're the children of God, which makes us brothers and sisters, right? What do brothers and sisters do when they're little? I've got two nephews. I think they're like seven and five. What do they do? They punch each other. They're boys. They fight, you know, come here, give me that toy. That's my toy. Here, eat this elbow, you know? That's just how they act, Right? And so we can see that happen in church. And Jesus is setting up and saying, hey, we're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to love each other, right? We're supposed to be able to get over things and and say, hey, that's okay. I love you. High five, right? And that's what we're supposed to, it's supposed to look like because we're all children of God. So that's statement number three. Statement number four uh, is about abandonment. Jesus has been on the cross for about nine hours at this point. Nine hours. Have you ever gone to the doctor? We, we've, Megan's pregnant. Uh, Pastor talked about it last week, and we took her to an appointment one time, and we waited for like two and a half hours just to get into a room, just to get into a room. You know, it's like the longest wait of your life, waiting in a waiting room, right? It's just excruciating. It's like, good Lord, what are they doing? You know, just, you know, but could you imagine being on a cross, you're, you're, you're tied up. They drive nails through your hands, through your feet. He had a crown of thorns on. He's been brutally beaten. The Bible says he wasn't even recognizable as a man. If you've ever seen the passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson did, they say that that doesn't even come close. And it's, it's excruciating to watch that scene, and it doesn't even come close. His intestines were hanging out. He was so ripped to shreds. 
They would use a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had nine leather pieces coming off of it. And they would braid into it pieces of glass, rock, and bone. So it would rip your skin off. And he's been hanging up there for nine hours. I, I can't imagine what that felt like. Matthew 27, 45 through 46, it says, At noon, darkness fell across the land until 3 o'clock. Darkness fell. That's all it really says. You know, a lot of movies show clouds. They don't really know what that means. But just darkness fell across the land. Till about three, and then at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Darkness fell on the world because God turned his back on the world. Because his son took on your sin. See, he was pure. He had to be pure. That's why he never sinned. He had to be pure. In the Old Testament, the lamb, if you brought a sacrifice, let's say you had cattle, you had to bring the best one. It's like, oh, that one's got cancer and a broken leg. Let's load him up. No, God wouldn't accept that. I want the best. So Jesus had to be the best of humanity to die. And he took our sins. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, he personally carried our sins on his body, uh, in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what, is right, for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Now this, this, this verse, Dylan, if we could just jump back to uh, Matthew 27.46, it says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Th- this is very disturbing. You know one of the things that you've never experienced on the earth is, is distance from God. The Holy Spirit is on the earth. We've never felt separation from God because he's, he's, he's here. He's all over the earth, everywhere you go. The deepest, darkest hole you can crawl in, God's there. He just is. The Bible bears it out. Okay? What Jesus felt was separation from God. He'd never experienced that before. And he cries out, God, why have you abandoned me? He knew why. He knew the answer. But he felt this abandonment, this almost surreal humanity that he cried out, God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus faced separation from God so that you would never have to. Jesus went to the cross and faced this so that you would never have to. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for your Lord God, for the Lord is your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will never not leave you nor forsake you. You've maybe heard the verse. You know, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus faced the separation from God so that you would never have to. Do you want to, you know, Hell, when you read about hell in the Bible, it, it sounds like just a terrifying place. You know, and what you have to understand about hell, hell was created for Satan and his angels, not for you. Okay? Do you know that uh, Lucifer was a worship leader? Now think about this. God got so mad at his worship team, he built a place in the middle of the earth, lit it on fire, and said, I'm going to send you there for eternity. He was, he was pretty ticked. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was pretty uh, upset. 
And so after death, there's only two places. You either accept Jesus or you deny Jesus. If you deny, that's where you go. If you accept him, you go to heaven. And it says that God will never leave us or forsake us, right? And so Jesus took that on the cross so that we don't have to. But one of the things that's so scary about hell is separation from God. You will be utterly separated from the presence of God. We've never experienced that, right? One of the greatest things about heaven is you'll be separated from darkness. You'll be separated from darkness. We live in a world where you're constantly surrounded by darkness. The devil runs loose on this earth. His angels run loose on this earth, and we're constantly surrounded by that. One of the greatest things about heaven is we will be separated from that. The scariest thing about hell is you'll be separated from God. And so we see where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And he did that so that we don't have to experience that. Now, after nine hours on a cross, I mean, I I can't imagine as as it progresses and as it goes on, and what he begins to feel, and darkness, you know, falls on the earth, it's dark. His next statement is kind of distress, is how they describe it. John nineteen twenty eight says, Jesus knew that his mi- mission was now finished, it's coming to an end, and to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Now, it says that, uh, you know, to fulfill scripture, I am thirsty, that's out of Psalms. Uh, 22, and that chapter describes him dying on the cross. It describes some of the things he would say, and it's prophetic. And he's saying, I'm thirsty. And then it says in verse 29, a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. Now, here, here's really uh, something that's very interesting. They put it on a hyssop branch. The hyssop branch was the branch that the Hebrews used to paint the blood over their doorposts to keep the, you know, I would say the angel of death out. That may not be the right verbiage, but to, when, when they were in Egypt, right? And God sent an angel and he killed the firstborn and they had to paint the blood of a lamb on it. So he, the angel knew, I don't go in this house because the blood of the lamb is on this house. The same branch used for that was lifted up to Jesus to give him a drink. Now, if that doesn't just kind of rock your world, that's crazy. So he cries out and he says, I'm thirsty. Number one, the statement before, God has abandoned him. Okay, now I want to read you a verse. Jesus said this uh, in, in his ministry in John 7, 37. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit has not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So he tells, he gets up at a festival. This is way before he's been crucified. And he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. God has turned his back on him. God has abandoned him. Not only is Jesus physically thirsty, but he's spiritually thirsty. He's crying out and saying, hey, I'm I'm thirsty. Not only do I need a drink, but I need the presence of God. One of the things that we face in our everyday life, have you ever heard the, the, you know, the idea that like if you're hungry, drink a glass of water first because you might be thirsty, but your brain is, is comprehending that as, as hunger, you know, but you're not really hungry, right? And a lot of times in our life when we're feeling certain ways, it's because you're thirsty, not for water, but as the Bible says, but for living water. 
You're thirsty for God. You're thirsty for the presence of God. And that's the only thing that can quench that thirst. But you have this craving, this ache in your heart. And we see where Jesus is experiencing the same thing of, hey, I'm thirsty. I need a drink. And what's crazy is before this, not too very long, they offer him a drink and he says, no, I don't want it. And they offer him a a mixture of kind of a pain reliever as he gets on the cross and it's supposed to help numb the pain and he wouldn't take it. And so I think Jesus isn't just crying out for water. I think he was crying out because he was spiritually thirsty because of the separation he felt from God. In your walk with God, if we lose that connection, if we get ourselves where we push God away, where we won't have it from God, when people try to speak into our lives, uh, people that we trust but we won't have it, we begin to feel thirsty. We begin to feel like I've, I've pushed God away. They taught us in Bible school that you could run from God as long as you want for as far as you want, but the second you turn around, he's right there behind you. And you may be in a place in your life where you feel thirsty, where you feel kind of parched, kind of like, man, you know, my mouth is kind of dry. And you need to be in the presence of God. That's what's so amazing about church is we all come together and we worship together. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship, God shows up. That's why we worship first, right? Because he shows up. He fills the room. As we read the word, God shows up. God is in this place, and you get spiritually refreshed. You know, I I always think it's funny when people are like, man, it's been a long week. What that means is I'm thirsty. I need something, right? I need something from God. We saw the kids in Ground Zero. I was telling them, when you come up for worship, you know, you look to your left, and and you say, now, I don't know what you're doing here. And you look to your right and say, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm here because I need something from God. Right, So you might need to go somewhere else. You might need to go over there if you're not here because I need something from God. And so we see where Jesus is laying out this roadmap of a pathway to, to Jesus and a pathway to our life as a Christian. That we're supposed to walk in forgiveness. That we're never going to experience the abandonment of God because Jesus has already taken that from us right? That we're all a family, that we're supposed to care for one another. And that if you get thirsty, you need to get in the presence of God. That's why you read your Bible, right? The object lesson we did a couple of weeks ago where we poured the water in the cup, that's, you're just filling the cup. It's gotten kind of low and you're getting kind of thirsty, fill the cup and say, I don't understand the thing I'm reading. doesn't matter. Fill the cup. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you later. You'll read it again the next day and think, oh my gosh, I know what that means. Right? That's because God's speaking to you and He's filling you up. If you would bow your heads, we're going to pray. The Bible says in Romans 10 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning that if you've never done that, if you've never confessed, that Jesus is Lord and believe that he raised from the dead. If you think, man, I've never done that or I can't remember when I did that, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I want to give you the opportunity that when you walk out of this room, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven. That there's no question about it. 
And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. You're not raising it for me. You're raising it as an act of faith. We said earlier that every good and perfect gift comes from above. You're just raising your hand because you're reaching up and receiving that gift. Amen. Y'all can put your hands down. Now, if you've prayed this prayer before and you've already done this, you can remember when you've done this. I want you to pay attention to this prayer so that if you ever have to use it, if you ever have to pray with someone, you know. So don't just mindlessly pray this prayer, but pay attention to what I'm saying so that you could pray this prayer with a friend, with family, so that they could know when they die that they'll go to heaven. So y'all repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the very first time, I'm so proud of you, and I would encourage you to tell someone. Uh, You can come tell me uh, after the service if you'd like to. If you've prayed that a thousand times, now you just, you know that you know, right? Hopefully this one works on you. And so if you ever have to use that prayer, something that's so interesting in the Bible, it says that uh, if you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. If you're ever with someone and and you're trying to get them saved or it comes to a point where it's like, hey, I want to be saved, don't make it complicated. Don't make it hard. Just tell them to say, Jesus, I need you. The Bible says that works. You know who makes it hard to get into heaven? We do. Not God. Not God. We make it complicated. So don't don't make it complicated. Hey, don't forget to grab you an invite card uh, for Easter out at the Red Desk. And if you're an usher, please stay after. Just come jump on the front row. If you want to help usher for Easter, just stay after. We're going to have like a two, three-minute meeting. If y'all would, go ahead and jump up to your feet. So glad that y'all were here. We'll see you next weekend. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend.